If you would, let's open our Bibles to Second uh, Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter 3. And we'll read verses 14 through 17. 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17. It says, But you continue in the things you learned and became convinced of, knowing from who you learned them, and that from God and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. All scripture is God breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be equipped, having been thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word, Lord. It's alive and well, Lord, and it's made it through many generations and many people scrutinizing it, Lord, and putting it to the test, but we know you are faithful, Lord. It's made it through every test that mankind can think of, Lord, and we just thank you that we can stand on it and that we can trust it, Lord, and then it's our guide to live by it, and it's our love, your love story to us, Lord, and we just thank you for what you've done. Lord, I pray today that as we continue to to uh, worship you through song, through the preaching of your word, that you open our hearts, that you make us sensitive, Lord, and that uh, the sound of our worship, Lord, is a sweet-smelling aroma to you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We love you, and we pray, Lord, that uh, you help us out this week as we continue to live out your truth, Lord. We pray in your name. Amen. Father, we come to you and thank you that we have just been granted the privilege to sing these songs, and we pray that what was brought to you in the form of our worship and praise through music was pleasing to you, God, as we desire to be that fragrant aroma, um, that that glorifies you, God. And we thank you for the way that uh, worship lifts our hearts up, God, fills us and enables us and readies us to hear your word. But we know that the worship doesn't cease with the singing of the songs, but that it continues in the reading of your word and the sharing of your scripture. And as we just meditate and center our thoughts on your word today, help us to arrive at a place, if we haven't already, where it is authoritative to us, God. Um, We've chosen this as one of the values that we uphold, and we pray that um, we look to it as the thing that steadies us in a world around us that is full of corruption and chaos. God, we need not worry that you will bring everything to pass that you have promised God, help us just to put all of our trust, all of our faith in you, and just help us to have that peace that comes with our understanding that you are sovereign, and help us to bow the knee to your sovereignty and your authority here today, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I know that many of you were here last week, and for those of you who weren't here last week, we started a series on the vision and values for Carlsbad Bible Church. So we took a pause from our study in the book of Philippians. As we typically do, we study the scriptures in an expository manner, meaning that we start in one book of the Bible, the first chapter, and go through it chapter by chapter and verse by verse. That's what we've been doing uh, with the book of Philippians. But we wanted to take a pause and try to find an appropriate place for it. So when we pick back up with Philippians, it'll, it'll flow for us. But we felt it was very important to share uh, what we are upholding as a church as the vision 
and values of Carlsbad Bible Church. So this is what we would call a topical message. And even with the expository teaching that we do from, from this pulpit, we also uh, encourage you uh, when anything is done in a topical way that you would ground it in God's truth, in His holy word. His scripture is the truth that we should anchor ourselves to and not trust man's words, but always come back to align anything that we hear uh, from this pulpit here or anything that we see on television or here in other churches that we seek to ground it in God's word. And when we can't, then those things should just be set aside and not considered, only the things that God's truth will affirm. And so we ask that you do that with our vision and value statement as well. So last week I did an overview of our church vision statement, and we are going to read that again, and then we're going to go directly into our first value uh, for our vision, and that is the authority of Scripture, or more simply put, just God's Word. And we have four values to cover under our vision statement, and this is the first value that we're going through today. And we believe these values help us to uphold and move the vision forward. As mentioned last week, um, we're going to use these as the sideboards which will help guide us forward in our mission together as a church as we serve alongside each other. This will be the filter through which we make decisions on things like missions and ministries, uh, opportunities, financial support, things that we will give financially to, and materials, teaching materials that we would incorporate into our, our church's various teachings uh, this will be the filter through which we do that. But let me first read uh, our vision. And if you weren't here last week, um, we weren't able to get it up on the screen like we are able to do today. And thanks for the tip, Wes, and just giving Nick a, a small tip. That, that works really well for getting this presented up on the screen. I've learned that candy works really well, and Barry brought the candy in today for the guys back there. <laughs> All right, let's look at this together. Uh, our vision says we exist to glorify God as a Christ-centered church who is faithfully committed to high view of God and His Word through expository teaching while equipping the saints to advance the cause of Christ both in our community and around the world. So if we are going to honor God as a Christ-centered church, and our teaching is going to be expository to equip his church, to equip God's people for the call of the ministry to which they have been called, then it must anchor itself to God's word, and it must affirm its authority for everything that we do. Psalm 119.11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 119, longest chapter in the book of Psalm, is so filled with the richness, the David gushing out about God's word and the trustworthiness of God's word and his law. And just like we would feed ourselves physical food, you know, some of us eat three square meals a day. We want breakfast, we want lunch, we want dinner. We do that to feed ourselves physically to sustain us. Just as much we need spiritual nourishment, and that comes from the study of God's word. In Psalm 119, 105, it says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We need help in discerning the path ahead of us in our individual lives and also the path ahead of us as a church. And because this world is full of lies, it's full of corruption and deceit, it's chaotic around us, where else do we look but to God's holy word to help us 
in discerning the path ahead of us. Jesus would say in his prayer to the Father in John chapter 17, verse 17, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. You see, we are to continue to grow in truth. And that should be one of the marks of a true believer, that being sanctified embodies our, our Christian growth and becoming more pure and becoming more and more like Christ. Not that we will ever attain perfection here on this earth, but we are growing more under the grace of God. And we should also be out doing His Word. And the book of James tells us in James 1.22, But be doers of the Word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And these are just a few of the reference verses that we use to underpin the value of the authority of Scripture for Carlsbad Bible Church. And so here is the value that may be already up there, but go ahead and change that slide if you will. And hopefully you can read it, but I'm going to go ahead and read it off here. We value the authority of Scripture because God's Word is the means by which He communicates to the believer and guides our life in Christ. His Word provides us with the knowledge of Him and His attributes and His desire for our lives. He encounters us with the gospel by it and sanctifies us in it. It is the anchor that holds true and steady in a world that is corrupted by sin. It is a firm foundation underneath us, a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We recognize that His Word is sufficient for our lives, but only for the one who hears the Word and does what it says. And because our vision states that we hold a high view of God, it also recognizes that He is the holder of all authority and how He expresses and dictates that authority to us is through His written Word, the Bible. So if we say that the Word of God will be our ultimate authority as a church, then we view His Scriptures as above everything else. And that includes our vision and values statement. We want to continually direct ourselves to His truth. And as many that might try and tell you that truth can't be known, and just the the fact that they would make that statement is a, a truth statement in itself, but that's beside the point. But we know that truth can be known. And it has been made known to us in that God has given us His Holy Word. The 66 books, Old and New Testament, that we call our Bible, we call it God's Word, we might refer to it as the Scriptures, but that is what we hold as authoritative over our lives, both as individuals and over Carlsbad Bible Church. And though many men have penned the words of Scriptures, it was the Spirit of God that was fully inspiring man to record His living Word which I think is a testimony to its truthfulness, that so many men could be involved with the writing of it, bringing in different backgrounds and culturals, cultures over many generations, and yet the Bible maintains a miraculous continuity and consistency that is found in no other book, especially with so many authors. So it points really to a single author that we know to be God the Holy Spirit. And it is why the Scriptures tell us that His Word is still living, that it is alive and that it is active. A.W. Tozer said, It is not a book that was once spoken, but it is a book that is continually speaking. 
In Hebrews 4, 12 through 13 is scripture that affirms this, where it says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eye of him to whom we must give account. The Spirit, the third person of the triune Godhead, alivens the Word of God to move upon the human soul and speak to its condition and to tell us who God is and His disposition towards sinful man, towards our sinful condition and what He has done to remedy our sin problem. To show us that He has made a way to Himself through Jesus Christ the Son and we will never exhaust the riches of His Word. I want to draw from some teaching that we did in Tanzania with the Institute of Biblical Leadership there, uh, because with so many cultures, there's a lot of wavering on, you know, what becomes authority for someone, and we wanted to ground this and center it on God's truth as being the ultimate authority. So I found some usefulness in some of the things that were brought out in the PowerPoint presentations uh, that we were um, able to give to the group there in Tanzania. But there are types of authorities that we view in society. And one of the authorities that all of us kind of experience or we kind of fall up under is a positional kind of authority. And that is an authority that possesses a right, if you will, to enforce an action that is due to their position or their role that they were normally elected or appointed to. We see this especially in cultures that are still under the rule of a monarchy. They might have a king or they might have a a king, queen that has been given the authority to dictate to the people what they are to do, the laws that they are to follow. In our culture, I guess the best example I would have of this is a, a police officer or a sheriff. If you get pulled over, they are in a position of authority to give you a citation or they are to you know, act according to what they have been um, given the authority to do. And this authority is something that we can always rebel against. We can neglect this kind of authority, but it will normally result in some kind of repercussion to us, like disobeying the law usually in, results in us experiencing some kind of repercussion. So that is a type of authority in our society, a positional kind of authority. There's another one called expert authority. And it seems these days everybody considers themselves the expert on something. I attend a lot of me- meetings where there's a lot of self-proclaimed subject matter experts, and I think a lot of you probably experience that. But this is an authority that possesses truth, which is recognized and accepted by others. And for us, I believe probably the best example of this is a medical doctor. Those of you who go to the doctor often or very seldom um, know that it's usually best to do what your doctor says because they have derived some kind of, of authority through the things that they have studied and they know how to diagnose you, they know how to treat your symptoms, And so they possess this kind of expert authority because of their background and what their education has given them. And this too, such authority can be ignored, it can be rejected, but there will probably be consequences that result from that. There is another kind of authority, and this isn't all-encompassing, by the way, and again, this is just uh, man's definitions of these things, so keep that in mind, but there is what is called a charismatic or relational kind of authority. 
And this is an authority that usually is, is someone who possesses uh, the ability to influence people very well. They, ha- they are able to talk very, very persuasively. They have a lot of relational connections, and they have a skill set that enables them just to really be able to connect with people well, whether it's through their actions or just through the things that they say. They engender usually a lot of trust, and so in doing so, they kind of assume this authoritative role that many people would give to them uh, just because of their talents, their abilities to persuade people. And... I think this is one of the ones that can cause the most damage, especially in the church, and I'm not saying this is wrong. I mean, a lot of us probably have what is called a charismatic personality. We connect well with people, but it's when a person with this kind of personality would take that authority that they possess to connect with people and to engender their trust and then abuse that and try to bring them along into uh, these cultish kind of ways. We've seen that happen over the history of the church. I mean, starting with Paul writing against Gnosticism and and those kinds of things that were prevalent in his day, and we know that there are many that have deceived and are deceiving today. I mean, we look at Jim Jones and how many he brought along, and that was part of that charismatic authority that he possessed that the people just willingly listened and submitted to things that he said. We also have in our world a religious or ecclesiastical kind of authority. And this is a kind of authority that possesses the right, or so-called right, to prescribe belief and action in regards to religious matters. Now, God is the ultimate authority on religious matters. That's the way we view it. But is there a person, is there an institution, or is there a document through, God, through which God exercises His authority? And there are different views on how God exercises His authority. Be careful with these because some believe that God exercises His authority by direct acts of revelation to each individual. That somebody gets a revelation of God and then another person over here gets a revelation of God and those two are in disagreement with each other and for them, um, one is claiming their authority because of what God told them, another is claiming their authority because of what God told them and rather than looking to how God has really revealed His authority, There's just that clash and that conflict. And as a church, we just can't see how that would work, where everybody has their own revelation based upon dreams or the voice of God coming to them and talking to them. But yet, this is seen as a way in many churches today how God would exercise His authority. And it's usually somebody who has a very charismatic personality that, you know, chimes in and says, I'm the one who God is speaking to and you need to listen to me, so that is one that we need to be really careful to. Um, some believe that God is exercising His authority through the delegation of power to an earthly person, or maybe it's an institution, maybe it's a denomination. So there is that view also on how God exercises His authority, and then there are those who believe that God is exercising His authority through delegation to a written document. Now, the only written document that we hold to, that is the authority and is the very Word of God, is the Scriptures, the Bible. But yet there are those who would say that God has spoken through other written documents and that those should be authoritative for us. And we do not hold that view here at Carlsbad Bible Church. We would hold probably what 
um, people would call an orthodox view. Uh, This is where the church historically, um, there has been kind of a solid grounding rod for the church, and that would be what we hold as the orthodox view. Um, This would say that the Bible alone is the final authority. It stands as the authority for what we believe, which is our faith. And it stands as the final authority for how we conduct ourselves, both individually and as a church. So that is the practice of what we believe is found here in God's Word. It also means that we believe that the Bible's original manuscripts are inspired by God and are without error. And that the Holy Spirit is the person of the triune Godhead that illuminates and enlightens men's and women's hearts, allowing them to understand the Bible's meaning. Now, we are to apply reason and good study practices when we go into God's Word. Um, study practices is a, there's a big theological term called hermeneutics to describe that, but study practices seems easier for me to understand. And we are also to prayerfully determine the meaning of Scripture and going to God through the gift of prayer that He has given to us to seek to understand. Now, most often, the Scripture is very clear in its meaning, and if placed into the right context, we can discern very clearly what the Word is saying. It's often when we fail to consider the context that we then venture out on shaky ground, and that is how many false doctrines are promulgated in the world today and in our culture. Colossians 2, let's, uh, let's turn there. I've been going through scriptures really quickly, but I'll give you a chance to turn to this one. Colossians chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4, and then we'll go to verses 8 through 10. Colossians 2, beginning in verse 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. And then look at verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. Paul speaks of things here that people are being taken captive with, that they are being deceived by. He is talking of those that are being deluded with plausible arguments, like depending on man's reason to interpret the Scripture for them. And so they're leaning more on the plausible arguments of man. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy. So just philosophizing about God's Word and maybe philosophizing about things of God and maybe pulling Scriptures out of context that fit with that philosophy. Empty deceits. 
the things that they just say in such a charismatic way that may cause you that, man, that must be truth, just the way they said it. According to human tradition and according to elemental spirits of the world. And so we recognize here, Paul is warning that we have to anchor ourselves to God's truth because we can so easily fall into these pitfalls, these traps that are of the enemy's design. We fall into them and we just get further and further away from God's word. There is a danger in what we would call rationalism. Rationalism means that my reasoning alone or someone else's reasoning alone allows me to understand the meaning of the Bible. So if a story in the Bible is not reasonable to me, then it's not authoritative to me. And there is more of a pick-and-choose method of reading the Scripture, saying, I will believe this, but not this. And there is no respect for the authority of Scripture in this approach to studying the Scriptures. So that would just be one of the pitfalls, rationalism. There is the one that Paul warns us specifically here, and that is mysticism. And mysticism relies a lot on personal experience or something that we have maybe been moved by experientially in our emotions, and that includes like new revelation or personal views of hidden meanings of Scripture that then become authority to them. It's the need to find something special that no one else has discovered. And because I have found this special hidden meaning in God's Word, you have to trust in me and my authority on that to explain it to you. There's so much danger in that. So we have traditionalism, we have this mysticism, and then also another danger. And I, don't, I would say cautiously that we probably don't have the danger of moving into this other form of deceit, but it is called Romanism. And Romanism says that the Roman Catholic Church is the final authority for interpreting the Bible. Now, there are other religions out there that also hold their religion above the Scriptures and saying that they are the final authority. So, yes, perhaps Romanism in a different form could deceive many of us here. Another one would be traditionalism. And this would say that our religious traditions of our cultures or our denominational backgrounds become authoritative for us. That if we don't hold to this tradition... Uh, I'll use this as an example because it kind of seems silly to me, but when I was directing the music at Cavern Baptist Church, I had a, a gentleman tell me that if we ever stop singing songs out of the hymn books and we project them on the screens, that he was going to leave the church. And that, to me, speaks of someone that was holding to his traditions a lot more firmly than he was holding to the Word of God. So that was just maybe a simple example, um, but... Traditionalism can certainly lead us astray and diminish the authority of God's Word. And I had already said that we are what I would call a more orthodox church, but there is this view of neo-orthodoxy, like a new form of orthodox. And that believes that the Bible contains truth. They would affirm that, but then I must decide for myself what sections are true and what are authoritative for me. Not take it as all-encompassing over my life, but then just, this one looks good to me. I'll make that truth for my life. And everybody has their own truth. And then that 
in itself says that this is not authoritative for you. And I believe that's really where we are in a lot of ways today, even within the church. We're we're now adopting cultural sins, if you will, and calling them as good and acceptable. And we've got to tolerate them. And I think this neo-orthodoxy is one of the principal dangers for the church today. There's another, it's called cultism. And cultism says that the Bible is not the only authoritative book and that a cult leader wields imperial authority and possesses the right to interpret the Bible and other writings. I see this really prevalent in Mormonism. And I'm sure there are a few others that I'm probably not considering here, but this is just to show us that there are many that do not align with an orthodox view of Scripture as the sole authority. And they can be very misleading. They can lure you in with many flattering words and promises of something great and promises of something new, but it is the work of the enemy to draw you away from God's truth. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 Verses 1 through 3. Turn there if you will. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful. Underhanded ways, we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. One of the phrases that was born out of the Reformation movement was this Latin phrase called sola scriptura, And it means scripture alone, basically affirming it as the authoritative word. And then there is another school of thought out there that pertains to the scriptures, and that is described as prima scriptura. So we have sola scriptura, we have prima scriptura, and the latter would hold scripture as being primary, and we might think that that sounds like a good thing. Yeah, we want to hold the scriptures as primary, but it is one among other resources that are also seen as sources of divine revelation. So Scripture is primary, but yes, we could see others as being divine revelation as well, other writings, other sayings of men, and we would bring those in almost being co-authoritative along with Scripture, and that is the danger, I believe, of that prima scripturas. Scripture alone, sola scriptura, teaches that Scripture is the only source of divine revelation. And having the view that there are other sources of divine inspiration outside of God's Word is dangerous, and in many instances, it is just outright false. And the Scriptures are self-affirming as truth, that all Scripture as is God-breathed. I mean, that is a Scripture that uh, Ray read to us this morning that we're going to cover here in just a moment. There are no other references cited in the Bible. If there are like other extra-biblical sources that the Bible cites, then you should probably get a different Bible. Scripture should cite Scripture, but all other books outside of Scripture should reference Scripture if they're seeking to align themselves with God's Word and His truth. 
So we leave options open under the primary view of Scripture that would be primary for us and not authoritative. And although many hold to this view, they may even say that Scripture is the most authoritative source, it still leaves room for other authoritative sources of revelation. And I'm not really one to single out religions by name, although I know I did call out a couple of them already, but most of the time you can figure that out based on the context that it's being described. But I think there are many of you that have come to this church or you have come into the true Christian faith with some kind of background of, of Catholicism. And this is where the concept of prima scriptura originated. When Catholicism was considered a government-sanctioned religion that people had to follow, they had the monopoly, so to speak, on every Bible translation that would come out. They had the monopoly on how it was to be translated. They had the power that was set up through the hierarchy to um, tell the people what the Scripture was and what it meant and the parishioners of the church were not allowed to interpret the scriptures on their own. So in a sense, the prima scriptura was used to assert authority. And this came along with establishing church leaders who held just as much authority as the Bible. And they would impose rules based upon the subjectivity of an elite spiritual class or the dictations from the Pope himself down through the church, that would become authority for them. And this is one of the main reasons that Martin Luther rebelled against the Catholic faith, of which he himself was part of. And I know Mr. Luther had a lot of flaws. He was only man as well. But the phrase of sola scriptura was born out of the Reformation as it was a pushback against the corruption, against the deception, uh, against the man-made rules of Catholicism. And the view of sola scriptura is that Scripture is not only primary, but also that Scripture is sufficient alone as the only supreme authority in all matters concerning the church. Now, how is someone saved? Well, what do the Scriptures tell us about that? Look to the Scriptures. They are the words of life to us, not only as the instrument to speak to our sinful condition and expose our need for a Savior, but also in laying down the guiding principles for our Christian walk. Everything that we must learn and do and grow in the knowledge of after our conversion. While we have teachers and we have preachers and others who lead in the church, we do not hold that any of these are co-authoritative with the rule of Scripture. And those of us who teach, we want to encourage you to take this view of our secondary authority and that we expect to be held accountable that the words that we say here will be scrutinized against Scripture. And that's why we often, before we get ready to teach, will remind you of the noble-minded Bereans that Paul was, seemed to be really impressed by because they didn't just take his word for it, that they went to the Scriptures to see the things that they were saying were actually uh, grounded in the truth. In Galatians 1.8, Paul would say, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Now this carries with it a great responsibility for those of us who would get up here and teach the Scriptures, and especially when we hold to this concept of sola scriptura. See, we can expound on the Scriptures wrongly. Not a single one of us is going to get it right all of the time. 
And we expect that much study time, as much as we can uh, afford in our lives with the work that we have going on in other matters, but as much study time should be devoted to bringing a teaching from the Scriptures here, to, especially to others. We want sound doctrine. We want right teaching proclaimed. And the product of proclaiming sound and right teaching is proclaiming the Scriptures with the accuracy of the revealed truth that is contained in them. We find strong warnings in Scripture about trying to add or take away from the Scripture. And we do so, when we do so, we attempt to diminish the sufficiency of Scripture. In Deuteronomy, this was a warning to the people in Deuteronomy 4.2, the Lord says, You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take away from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. In Deuteronomy 12.32, everything that I command you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to it or take from it. Most of you all probably have read through the book of Revelation and know this very stern warning that comes at the end of that book. Revelation 22:18 through 19 says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to them the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. Now, my interpretation of these verses is that the church is to be under the authority of Scripture, that we are not co-authors of divine revelation. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 2. Paul says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Paul is charging Timothy that he is to preach the word. Paul's not telling Timothy to stand on his own reason. He's not telling Timothy to take what he's heard from maybe Jewish rabbis that he's listened to in the past. I don't know if they had Jewish rabbi podcasts back then, but if they did, I'm sure people would be listening to them. No, Paul was telling him not to stand on his own opinion or soapbox, but to preach the word. Not our own opinions of what the Bible says, but the word of God. Tim Keller in his book simply titled Preaching says this, and I remind you, this is man's words, but he says the purpose of preaching is to preach the Scripture with its own insights, directives, and teachings. The first great task of preaching is to preach God's Word and to let the listeners sense its very authority. One of the verses that we cite for this value of the authority of Scripture is what Ray read at the beginning of our service today, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there with me, 2 Timothy 3. I think this is a very good memory verse. There Paul writes to young Timothy, verse 15 of chapter 3, And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, 
equipped for every good work. Paul here is, in a sense, declaring that the scope of Scripture is sufficient in all these ways. One, that it is sufficient for a person's salvation. He says, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. He is saying that all Scripture is breathed out by God, which is, in a sense, just from the very mouth of God. He gave it life at its, at its inspiration. He continues to give it life by the Spirit empowering it. When he says all Scripture is breathed out by God, that that is the, the meaning behind it. And it is also able to equip us for every good work, which speaks to the encompassing sufficiency of Scripture. That's profitable. It's for teaching. It's for reproof. It's for correction. It's for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, may be well-rounded in all of these things, then thereby equipped for every good work. So we ask ourselves a question that this value, I think, responds to, and that is, where does absolute authority reside? That's what we have to ask ourselves as a church, and this is our response, that Scripture is authoritative, that it is our sole authority. You could ask that question of some, and they may respond that it is the church that has absolute authority over our spiritual lives. Some might say that it lies in our traditions. Still, some might say that it is what God spoke to them through a dream that they had last night that becomes their authority for the days ahead until another dream comes along. And it almost sounds like I'm joking about that, but that becomes authority for some people. Or maybe it's just a combination of all of those. <clears throat> and it's all over the place. You can pretty much pick and find all these examples. But there is nothing that will steady us in our Christian walk if we do not believe that God's Word is authoritative. He is our sovereign and He dictates to us through His Word what He intends for our life in Christ and how He saves us and how He sanctifies us in it. Jesus would say at the end of His Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, I'm going to read part of this verse and then I'm going to close with the rest of it. Verse 26 says, And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. There are many professing Christians who are content to just rather not know what the Scripture has already decided on many of today's divisive topics. And I call it the great softening the church's stance on things like same-sex marriage and sexual immorality and women pastors, this isn't something new to the church, these divisive things. Many of the same things have been faced by the church of eras past. They were maybe just packaged up a little bit differently. But the enemy is always at work. He was always on the move to try and get us to waver on things that the Scripture is very clear to us on. As soon as he can get one seed of doubt planted in us, then that just brings forth more of his deception in our lives. We can easily be entrapped and ensnared in it when we aren't viewing God's word as authoritative. When we do not fasten ourselves to God's truth, we will be like those that Jesus said, the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And as your pastors and elders here, we want you to know that our word is not authority 
but it is God's word. And I love people. I love every one of you. And many of you who know me know that I'm kind of more of a people person and also know that I will not be confrontational. I'm usually not um, because I just want everybody to get along. But I also know that I cannot waver on God's word. That is, that is good for me, especially a personality like mine. We cannot waver from his word. The word is going to divide, and we must be willing to accept that not all will want to hear what God's word says. Not all will want to say that God's word is authoritative. We are not going to change the message, though, that we preach or this value that we uphold in order to bring more people into the church. If the scripture offends, we have to be content to say, so be it. In fact, the scripture should offend because truth in scripture runs contrary to our flesh nature. And it's good for us to be confronted with God's truth in his word. Matthew seven twenty four through 25, this precedes what Jesus says about the foolish people who build their house upon the sand, but Here in verse 24, he says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. I'm going to read through that value one more time and then we're going to close in prayer. We value the authority of of Scripture alone because God's word is the means by which he communicates to the believer and guides our life in Christ. His word provides us with the knowledge of him and his attributes and his desire for our lives. He encounters us with the gospel by it and sanctifies us in it. It is the anchor that holds true and steady in a world that is corrupted by sin. It is a firm foundation underneath us, a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We recognize that his word is sufficient for our lives, but only for the one who hears the word and does what it says.